You're working on a project with your team and trying to do everything through email. Things started okay initially, but as soon as you add more than a few people or share more than a few files, the whole thing falls apart and becomes a mess. Someone gets omitted from CC and misses an important update, and there's that other person who adds a lot of people to the thread, even though most of them don't belong there. Not forgetting the coworker who starts a whole new thread and a new discussion about the same thing. Email is great for talking to one person, but terrible for talking to a group for project management. Basecamp comes into play here. Basecamp is made to make it easier to manage projects that everyone can do. You start a project in Basecamp, post a description on the message board and let everyone else catch up on their own time. When someone has something to say, they write it on the message board. If someone has a quick question, they post it in the chat. When someone needs to share a file, you put it in Basecamp and everyone can see the recent version. Communications run the way that it should. Basecamp makes it easy to work together on projects without wasting time. Teams that use Basecamp send less email and have fewer meetings. Go to basecamp.com slash today and sign up to start a free 30-day trial. No credit card is required and you can cancel online anytime. If you want to know if Basecamp is right for your team, signing up for a trial is the best way. Remember to go to basecamp.com slash to get your free trial. Thank you Basecamp for sponsoring this episode. One good thing that happened to me during the pandemic was to consider restarting my podcast, which I stopped after five episodes in 2016. Stuck at home with time on my hand, I wanted to put the microphone I bought for a better Zoom meeting experience to more use. I tried recording the podcast via Zoom, but it wasn't good. The sound quality was less than ideal, and any intermittent connection issues made it worse. Fortunately, I found Zencaster, a dedicated platform for virtual audio and video podcast recording. It provides crystal clear sounds which is recorded locally before being pushed to the cloud. This way, you don't have to worry about any inherent connection issues that may disrupt your audio quality. And if you wish to do video, it allows you to record in gorgeous 1080p HD. The best tool is useless if it is too complicated. Zencaster resides on the web and there is nothing to download. If you know how to use the browser, you would know how to use Zencaster. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. If you go to zen.ai slash agentan and enter the promo code agentan, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash agentan. It's time to share your story. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Adrian Tan Show. And in today's episode, we'll be speaking about mental health with our guest, Theodoric Chu. He is the co-founder and CEO of Intellect, Asia Pacific's largest employee mental health benefits company that provides comprehensive mental health care for leading workforces and consumers. Prior to Intellect, Theodoric dropped out of Raffles Institute when he was 16 years old and started his entrepreneurship journey when he founded and brought the content platform ExistGrid to acquisition at just 20 years old. Theodoric then headed up marketing at Voyagin, a travel tech company that got acquired by Rakuten and thereafter went on to lead growth at Entrepreneur First, the world's leading deep tech venture builder before founding Intellect in late 2019. Today, Intellect serves over 3 million members worldwide, including major employers the like of Shopee, Foodpanda, Grab, Shopback, and Singtel. And it's backed by leading investors, including Exignia Venture Partners, Y Combinators, Hoff Capital, East Ventures, and many more. Theodoric is also recognized in Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia list in 2022. Welcome to the show, Theodoric. Hi. 
Thanks for having me, Adrian. Excited to speak with you today about mental health care. What is the current focus on mental health and well-being right now? This is something that seems to have only cropped up only over the recent years. Is it something that is more prevalent because of what has gone on? Or is it always has been there, but people were never wanted to get out of the closet? Yeah, so I think it's more than that. I think mental health has been, uh, you know, what they call a sudden pandemic for quite a long time. It's nothing that's new. We've all have had stress, anxieties, and our struggles since the start of time. And I think it's something that historically has been very taboo to speak about openly. We speak about mental health as a clinical crisis issue, but I think the pandemic over the last two years has really shown a, a bigger spotlight on the fact that everyone has struggles, big and small. And we see that mental health has come to the forefront for companies, for individuals, for governments even. And it's a very pertinent thing to solve uh, in this day and age as well. Is there a personal story to why you decide to get into this? Yes, there, there is in fact a personal story. I actually struggled with anxiety when I was in secondary school. And when I was 16, I had my first panic attack while I was studying and uh, studying a therapist. So it's from that point whereby I saw firsthand the benefits of working with a professional, but across the years also saw there's a lot of gaps in how uh, Singaporeans and Asians at large really have uh, struggles to seek. Do you have any insight or any study to help us better understand what is the state of mental health, especially in Singapore workforce right now? There are multiple studies that are done and I can share a bit of both what we've done and also what one of the landscape government pieces. I think I'll open one, one stat that I, I, I like to put off the which actually was done by I think, the Singapore government a couple of years back. They found that actually in Singapore, there's a four to seven year treatment gap for mental health, right? Which is actually a really long time, meaning that if you've been ill for, for some time, someone four to seven years to actually get the care, which is much too late. Oftentimes when you get the care this week, it means the problem has probably become a lot more bigger than it needs to be. So uh, that's a very key thing. To, to add a further step, all right, the WHO actually went to study one in five which is struggles with mental struggles. And less than 40% of people actually get support in, their, in, a, in any point of their lives, which is, again, quite an alarming uh, rate in terms of what we are struggling and seeing out there. So fundamentally, the bottom line is a lot of people struggle. A lot of them need care, but a lot of them don't seek this support for a variety of reasons. That's what we're trying to change. What are some of the common reasons that prevent people from seeking intervention, even though they might have identified certain things are not going well? So we like to, there are a variety of things, but we categorize them into three broad buckets quite simply. One of the, the core things that mental health care and therapy isn't the most cheapest form of care. It is fairly costly for a variety of reasons from the infrastructure of the healthcare system and the like. It's one of the factors. Uh, but actually one of the biggest things which likely isn't news to anyone listening in, it's the stigma. These, uh, stigma has long been the biggest barrier for people to acknowledge or even speak with their loved ones or their friends that they may be comfortable with us. That, that, that's actually one of the biggest things that we often see that prevents people from getting care. So cost, stigma. And the last thing actually I'll start on is briefly on the infrastructure as well. I think there's a lot of innovation that has yet to hit the mental health care uh, systems. All right, For good reason, it's still quite a nascent industry and there's much work to be done here as well. Traditionally, before the intervention of solution like intellect, how's the journey like for someone who is interested to seek intervention? Yeah, so traditionally, uh, I'll share what has been the solution in place, and I'll also touch briefly about what Intellect does as well. Historically, for the most part, people either themselves go and seek care by finding a therapist, a psychologist in 
private practices or they go and see a, a GP and a doctor to get a referral to a specialist. It, it's more severe. It's quite manual. That's on the individual level. On the company level, the, the, the more traditional solution is something called EEP, Employee Assistance Program, which quite simply put, uh, crisis help. Like people are struggling, they dial in and they get help and, um, and the like there. And so both have quite a high bar in how the people can acknowledge and get the care. And the crisis helpline, by the name of it, is a crisis helpline. People also are afraid of, you know, calling and dialing in because of the stigma in place. Hmm. So, so that's what has been historically the case, right? And and just give a, a high level mobile app, basically, they can get access to self help programs, they can get access to real life coaches, therapists, even psychiatrists within minutes on our app itself. So it removes the barrier. It removes the hurdle of it's only clinical because uh, it's not. We believe uh, a whole lot in, in proactive care and that's what we do as well. I remember speaking with someone and this person happened to be a type A personality and we broached on the topic of mental health, exhaustion, etc. Type A being type A, the natural answer or rebuttal is, would be more resilient. Nah. On that specific note, does mental health or rather exhaustions or all these kind of mental issues does it affect people differently or equally? And are there ways for you to build up resilience so as to take preventive steps? Yeah, the effect of the matter is that it, it definitely affects everyone differently. Some people more so than others, but I would just put it quite clearly, it affects the best of us as well. All of us who at some point of our life go through some major incidents from grief, loss or highs or lows and that will affect how we're doing. We may be able to manage it better, some of us, but for the most part, when we struggle, we cope in different ways. Some people turn to speaking with friends, some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to games or shows and, you know, eat to each their own. But the bottom line is everyone struggles and then each of us, even the best of us, have our low moments as well. So that's the kind of the key thing there. And to your point, then, does it, does people struggle differently and is there with the good residents? I, I think in short, yes. I think there are ways that we can learn techniques, work with therapists to better understand, our, understand ourselves, our triggers, and how do we actually deal with different moments. To put quite simply, if you look at, let's say, COVID. COVID is a pandemic, it's a physical illness. It's quite black and white. You have it or you don't have it. Quite simply put. But it affects us in different ways. Some people have really damaging symptoms. Some people, they didn't know they had it at all. So it's quite simply in mental health. That's what we like to, to portray and see it as well. I'm very certain you may have some form of practice on your own. Could you help the audience to understand what's your daily practice? Yeah, so I think many ways to go about it. And, and no one, there's no prescriptive way to go about it. So my method will likely not be a suitable method for someone else. But uh, for me, first and foremost, being a founder of a company, uh, naturally, I have a lot of things to think about, to stress about. But I think one thing that helps me a lot is to draw very clear boundaries between my work life and my personal life. I think having clear boundaries where possible, unless it's urgent, uh, where I segment my own time to myself, to recharge, is very critical. That's the fundamental kind of safeguards I put for myself. Practices I have would be having physical exercise like walking, speaking with friends, speaking with my therapist, my coach, and, and other forms of things as well. And like, personally, I, I've tried out mindfulness breathing. And to show that for me, it's not my best technique to cope. I find I don't need to help them better. But for many people, mindfulness can be the most effective solution. So yeah, there are many ways to go about it. Since it seems to be very much something that is affecting us through what we bring in or the inputs that we actually digest, would other aspects of things like your your diet, your sleep pattern, all these have a part to play as well. Yes, there's a concept in mental health called the cognitive triangle whereby how you feel mostly affects how you think and it affects how you do, how you work. So, so it's just quite all interconnected. If you're feeling quite poorly, 
you naturally would have poorer diet. You feel physically less active. You won't exercise as much and it will affect your sleep. And this correspondingly will affect many other aspects of yourself as well. So quite simply put, if you are mentally not very well in a low period, it can probably be quite something. It would likely affect your, you physically in some manners, maybe not very, very extremely, which that's hopefully the case. But for some people, they can have like really bad stomach aches. They can have like headaches. They can't sleep. A variety of things. Earlier on, you mentioned about EAP, which stands for Employee Existence Program, which are programs that companies, especially the bigger ones, they have been implementing across their offices. And I've been seeing a lot more of this happening over the COVID period. Laura is one of the companies that came to mind because they broadcast about the whole thing. What is your take on all these EAP programs? A lot of time when I look at them, it seems to be very across the board for everyone. And I must say, some of it even look very token to me. What do you think companies should really take into consideration when approaching an EAP? Yeah, you rightly pointed out. What I would say is EAP is a good starting step, right? If anything, it's a good step in the right direction. But how I see that EAPs oftentimes are safety nets, right? They oftentimes check the box for HR teams that if something does happen, we have this crisis helpline in place to rescue people. But the fact of the matter is that, and this is quite um, not, not a secret at all, have very low utilization rates because they've seen as crisis helplines, people are afraid about it and all that kind of stuff. So anywhere from less than 1% to 2% utilization across the, the workforce are quite common stats to be seen. So most people, the other 98% or whatnot, would not utilize this benefit or this solution. So what then is the question? So my, my thought and my point, what in fact does a lot it's how can we shift the conversation from a crisis type discussion to one that's a proactive uh, aspect of things? So we look a lot at proactive mental health well-being support for employees, for people leaders, for company leaders themselves as well, management teams. So we look at it from different aspects and really try to steer it away from a reactive intervention, but more one that's preventative. All this has been shouldered primarily by HR departments within companies. My wife happens to be a HR as well and was telling me almost every week she will get one or two calls from the, the people from the team about some mental wellness issue, burnout issue, etc. But is it really unique to just the HR to take intervention while the people leader, the line leader just wipe their hands clean on that? I think you're cluing into that. The answer is there definitely isn't just the HR team's responsibility. Of course, they have the ownership of finding the right solutions to support the workforces, but it's a lot more than HR bringing in solution. There are employees themselves, there are managers, there are company leaders as well. So these are all the three different aspects that, that matter when a workforce thinks about employment developing. HR are the project owners uh, in a way you can think about it that way, but it's a multi-stakeholder effort to actually drive this effort. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Special thanks to Zencaster for sponsoring today's episode. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process quick and painless, the way it should be. I'm obsessed with quality and Zencaster delivers crystal clear audio and stunning HD video. Not to mention that it's easy to use even for my less tech-savvy guest. There's nothing to download. They simply click on the link and begin recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience as simple as possible. You don't have to leave your browser to finish the episode because the tool includes everything from local recording to automatic post-production. Take the next step in your podcasting journey. Go to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. 
That's zen.ai slash Adrian Tan. And remember to enter in the promo code Adrian Tan at checkout. It's time to share your story. And when it comes to, of course, uh, intervention for companies, so we have a better understanding of earlier on how the traditional aspect, traditional journey would run through. Uh, How would intellect bring it differently and create that programs for better improvement for their people within organization? So intellect, quite frankly, reinvents how EPs or how companies take on play well being or EPs all together. EPs, as I shared earlier, take care of a crisis intervention. They come in to support employees who are in urgent distress. Does that firstly? We have our crisis helplines and the like there. But we, as I shared earlier, build up a lot more capabilities and solutions for proactive care. So employees actually through the employee app can get access to self-guided programs developed by our clinical team can get access to behavioral health coaches, actual experts to support them, or they can work with therapists if they want to for emotionally. So they get a whole range of support that doesn't bucket them only to clinical or crisis needs, basically. We take it one step much more earlier where people could be struggling with everything they need from... And then just to do a, a bit of a segue, how we like to see with the mental spectrum is that there's three buckets, people in the healthy range, people in stress, and people who are clinical in need. The bulk of people are in the stress category, right? To put quite simply, we tackle that a lot. We also help people get to the healthy range as well, not just the clinical crisis. So in a way, companies who may not have any EAP could actually approach Intellect to have somewhat of a white label version? They can definitely approach Intellect to provide a solution. What Intellect provides is not a white label, but our own branded solution where we bring the full force of our well-being app, the coaches, therapists, and even our educational webinars and workshops as well. So all of these combined actually gives a full-fledged initiative for a HR team, a company, to, to know that their employment that health initiatives are well taken care of. And given that such initiatives are likely to be driven by HR, there will always be the question from the senior management about the ROI. Going back to what we mentioned earlier on, on the state of mental health in Singapore workforce, could you also help the audience to better understand what is the kind of things or the kind of opportunity cost they'll be looking at if interventions are not taken care of at a timely manner? That's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll share a bit more about what Enflect's scale and reach has been as well. So as it stands today, Enflect is the region's largest and fastest growing mental benefits digital solution. We serve over three million lives on our platform already today. Uh, some of the largest companies, I'm sure we all know from multinationals to local conglomerates and tech companies that we service across the board. One of the big things we showcase to clients is firstly, the fact that ROI comes in the form of leading and lagging metrics. Uh, leading, meeting, we showcase very strong utilization. People actually are using and benefiting from the platform, that's number one. We see between 15 to 50% utilization rate with workforces we roll out to, which is multitudes higher than the traditional crisis help lines. The second thing is to showcase ROI in terms of how can we reduce absenteeism present in the workplace, how can we showcase that increased productivity. We run different measures for companies to actually showcase this outcome. I do understand that you work with very large companies. In Singapore context, most of the companies here, in fact, 99% of the companies here are SME, and by government definition, less than 200 headcount. Average, I would say it's like 50, 70 packs, as I trust. Some companies as small as 10. I would imagine they would equally require such intervention as well, but is this something that they can also consider? Yeah, definitely. So actually, and like, like you mentioned, we actually service a lot of large companies, multinationals or tech firms, but we also service a lot of SMBs and startups as well that have not necessarily hundreds or thousands of headcounts. We do a 3 support with our platform. One of the key things given how Implex design it, it easily scales from a setup of 100 people to 10,000 employees quite easily and efficiently as well. So 
we do actually support companies of all sizes. On the part about what you mentioned earlier on, on your personal intervention, things like drawing a line clear between work and life, etc. Of course, all these are steps and measures that individual can take. But I would also believe a large amount of exhaustion as well as burnout are caused primarily by the company. Now, not that we are able to control what the bosses or the managers will behave, but are there certain themes or commonality that you're seeing across the people who are engaging on your app? And in your opinion, what do you think the bosses could actually do differently yet achieve the same or even better results? Yeah, I think fantastic question. One of the big trends is, yeah, I think usually it's in the major work that an employee may be in. Yeah, in the line of sales, in the line of engineering, different struggles, right? Sales could be very high pressure on targets to be hit. Engineering could be signs of burnout from being very long working hours or, or, or cooked up engineering like coding and the like that. So we do see some very interesting trends across different demographics, firstly. But in terms of what you asked, what could people leaders do differently as well? I think fundamentally, there's a lot of effort from people managers and also company leaders to implement train the trainer type programs where they are upskilling uh, managers to be more empathetic and even to spot people in distress and to know how to then support where these are programs that Edel actually writes quite a fair amount. How do you support leaders to look out for their team members, to not give a prescriptive do this or do that, or sometimes it may not be the right answer, but to know how to listen, to know how to provide support and ultimately to get managers to become champions of mental well-being within the companies. It's not just going to be a bottoms-up or top-down solution. The ideal goal is where we have champions across uh, all different themes, talking and supporting them. I've also read in other surveys when it touches on this topic that the reaction or the kind of a level of reports on exhaustion, burnout, etc. seems to differ across different generations. Interestingly, uh, during a report, a millennial group seems to have the highest level of exhaustion, followed by Gen Z and then the boomer, which was quite interesting to me because I would imagine actually the boomer would rank the highest given this was done during the COVID period and they might not be that affluent in dealing with all this remote stuff. Do you see the same trend based on your report and why do you think there might be or might not be any generational difference? Yeah, I would say there is probably some general differences. Just give you an example. One that fresh grad would struggle with would be quite vastly different from what seasoned executives struggle with as well. You know, they are, they are threshold for enduring stress and it's going to be quite different for different reasons as well. But what I would say is that, uh, and this links to not just mental health, but overall change in perspective, expectations of people are very rapidly changing. Millennials, even Gen CXD, I'm surprised that team after millennials have different expectations as to what uh, a job provides, what a workplace actually provides. And it's not only just picking a paycheck, it's finding fulfillment, it's finding things that they find meaning in doing as well. So I think all these factors actually play a part in contributing towards an overall ecosystem of uh, effective uh, workforce mental well-being. And I think of all these things, like if you look at maybe Gen X or the most seasoned professionals demographic, may just be quite used to not having this ever been discussed before. So hence why they're a bit more resilient or take it in stride. Whereas in, in the younger audiences, this is actually a very top of mind topic, putting forward your own needs, your own your own mental requirements. And that's why I think we see that different expectation as well. And also at the country level, are there any significant difference as well, given that in Singapore, we do work quite a number of hours compared to, say, a Philippines or maybe a Vietnam? Are there significant difference across that as well? I would say naturally the very fast-paced cities, like in Singapore, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Tokyo and Seoul, they would have to have some type of uh, measures or, or, or stress and anxiety just because of the very fast nature of the, the work that they do. 
But I would this kind of fact that even in, in emerging markets, Indonesia, then there are also very real stresses in other forms, maybe not necessarily from work, but came from political strife, can be from personal financial stability, all of the kind of factors. So many different aspects, but they affect the individual in different manners. We do see very fast-paced countries that have higher stress survey outcomes, usually so. I guess on that note, we just have to work with the best of we have, or unless then we just have to go back to migrating la, to some countries which are a bit more chill, like, <laughs> yeah. like the previous generation of Singaporeans did la, when so many of them go to Australia. So moving forward, where do you see the state of mental health or mental health care? And what do you foresee to be the trend as well as the direction going forward? Yeah, so I think it's really exciting because we are only just getting started. I think the pandemic and what COVID has done is to become the catalyst to get a lot of people very aware of the, the need for mental support. And I think we're just at starting point. We have seen already a lot of change in workforces, changing their policies, changing their benefits for employees. We see from governments as well. In Singapore, for, for, for example, they have a mental task force being set up. Uh, they're putting a lot of initiatives to actually support employee well-being, but also population level well-being as well. So we, we do see very encouraging trends that uh, it's all moving very quickly forward. And, and we think that in the years to come, uh, more and more people on the individual level will see mental as well as an everyday mental, not a clinical issue. Could you elaborate more on the Inter-Agency Task Force on Mental Health and Wellbeing? Are there any level of involvement that you played in? Yeah, there is, uh, right? as I think some of the press that the government has pushed up, the Inter-Agency Task Force to look specifically at mental health for the population, which I think is a very inspiring factor. Different ministries from different sectors coming together to look at the education, the manpower, the health of the people as well. So I think that's a big effort that is leading in the region. And we're seeing that actually the government's trying to put forth different initiatives to, to basically tackle and change how mental health care is done. And to make, we do engage quite actively with the government to, to show and also to support where we can with our solutions. And we actually likely will see more and more of us uh, collaborating with, with the public sector side as well. Where can people find out more about you as well as intellect? Yeah, so... It, Anyone listening can find us on our website at intellect.co. They can find us, they can reach out to us on our LinkedIn and social medias as well. And we'd be more than happy to actually speak with anyone, chat about your mental well-being needs for your workforce, your teams, or people that you know as well. As Leo mentioned, don't wait for the four to nine years before you start seeking intervention, whether it's for yourself or on behalf of others, seeking the right intervention timely is most important to take the preventive step rather than the reactive one. And with that, Theo, thank you so much for coming on to the show and to share more with us about mental health as well-being. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Adrian, for having me on the podcast today. Special shout out to today's sponsor, Zencaster. It may not be obvious, but every podcast episode usually comes with post-production. The ding, swoosh, fit in and outs are usually painstakingly added in by a professional sound engineer. The sound also requires normalization and noise reduction to provide listeners with the best listening experience. Before you grunt at spending money on sound engineering, you'll be pleased to know that all this can easily and quickly be done on Zencaster. It comes with a soundboard for live editing, so you can insert any audio clips live as you record. You can also add intro, add and other audio on the fly. And with its automatic post-production feature, you can be assured of studio quality sound with loudness normalization, noise and hum reduction that makes your podcast sound like it was recorded in a studio. One transcript for your listeners, Zencaster's transcriptions are produced by their language modeling AI and proprietary machine learning tools that are on par with leaders such as Google Descript and Alter.ai. To enjoy all this, simply sign up for Zencaster by going to zen.ai slash Adrian 
and enter the promo code Adrian Tan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash Adrian Tan and remember to enter in the promo code Adrian Tan. It's time to share your story. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.